No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where Isaiah prophesies about the coming siege of Jerusalem, and he pronounces judgment against Shebna, the palace administrator. We hope you join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Isaiah chapter 22 on Simply the Bible. As Isaiah was giving his prophecies against the various nations surrounding Israel, he now turns his attention to his own people, to Jerusalem. We continue in Isaiah chapter 22. The burden against the valley of vision. What ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city. Your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. All your rulers have fled together. They are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. The Valley of Vision refers to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is on a mount surrounded by valleys. The Kidron Valley is on the east side, separating Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. It could be that Isaiah was in this valley outside the city when he received the vision. It is often as we are in life's valleys that God speaks to us, giving new vision. While Isaiah was in the valley, the Jews were on the housetops. Isaiah was mourning over the conditions that he saw and that he foresaw, but the people were partying full of noise and levity. But despite their lightheartedness, the men of the city would soon be slain. They would not be slain with the sword, but would die from the famine that would ensue during the coming siege. Now, scholars are divided as to which siege Isaiah was referring to. Some think that it refers to the Assyrian siege. The Assyrians would soon invade Judah. Sennacherib wrote that he captured 46 towns in Judah, and he would send his field commander up to the city gates of Jerusalem and threaten Hezekiah, who would then cry out to the Lord. Consequently, God would send an angel to destroy 185,000 Assyrian troops. Others think that this refers to the Babylonian siege against Jerusalem that would be about 125 years later. Isaiah said that the rulers had fled together and were captured. That would seem to point to the Babylonian siege because in 2 Kings 25.4, we see that Nebuchadnezzar broke through the city wall of Jerusalem and the men of war fled at night. King Zedekiah also fled, but he was captured and brought to Nebuchadnezzar who made him watch while Zedekiah's sons were killed. Then Nebuchadnezzar put out Zedekiah's eyes and led him away captive to Babylon. Verse 4. Therefore I said, Look away from me, I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. In the last chapter, we saw that Isaiah wept over Babylon's future destruction, but how much more would he weep over his own people? Isaiah refused to be comforted because of the plundering of the daughter of his people, even though he would not live to see Jerusalem destroyed by the Babylonians. 
For it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountain. Elam bore the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen, and Kerr uncovered the shield. It shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. This would be a great day of trouble for Jerusalem, where the walls would be broken down. Elam and Kerr are mentioned as part of this invading force. Perhaps they were mercenaries hired either by the Assyrians or Babylonians. The point was that while the Jews in Jerusalem were feasting, a great invading force was amassing outside her city walls. Verse 8, He removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. These verses seem to point to preparations Hezekiah made to withstand the Assyrians. At first, in an attempt to appease Sennacherib, Hezekiah gave him the silver from the house of the Lord and from his own treasuries. He also stripped the gold from the doors of the temple and from the pillars. He looked to the armor of the house of the forest, which was an armory inside of Jerusalem. Next, he broke down houses to fortify the weak areas in the wall. Finally, he made a reservoir between the inner and outer walls and dug a 1,777-foot tunnel through solid rock to route the water of the Gihon Spring outside the wall to deliver water to the Pool of Siloam inside the city. Today, you can walk through this water tunnel. All these things Hezekiah did to prepare for the siege. It could also be that Zedekiah did many of these things during the Babylonian siege. Now, there was nothing wrong with making such preparations, but the problem was they did not look to their maker. They relied upon their own wisdom and defenses rather than upon the Lord. Oftentimes, it is easier for people to work than to repent. But God seeks repentance and total reliance upon him. And in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning, for baldness and for girding with sackcloth, but instead joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. God was calling for weeping, mourning, fasting, and wearing sackcloth. When Ezra expressed his grief over the sins of the people, he even plucked out some of his hair on his head and beard. When God is judging a nation for its evil, the people must humble themselves, turn from their sins, and seek his face if they want him to deliver them. But rather than mourning, the people were partying. Rather than fasting, they were feasting. Rather than repenting of their sins, they indulged their flesh, thinking that, well, we don't have much time left, so we might as well party it up. 
They assumed that their destruction was a foregone conclusion rather than humbling themselves and seeking God. I believe that there is a direct application for us today. I believe we are seeing God's judgment upon our nation and even throughout the world. I believe God is shaking things up so that we will seek Him. God said in 2 Chronicles 7.13, When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I believe this is the call of the hour. But are we doing this as a nation? Or have we adopted the motto, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Verse 14, Then it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts, Surely for this iniquity there will be no atonement for you, even to your death, says the Lord God of hosts. Tragically, because the people would not humble themselves, there was no atonement for their sins. Isaiah now turns to a person, a person by the name of Shebna, who was a palace administrator under Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Go, proceed to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, What have you here, and whom have you here, that you have hewn a sepulcher here, as he who hews himself a sepulcher on high? who carves a tomb for himself in a rock. Now the problem here was Shebna, rather than mourning, rather than understanding the times in which he was living and understanding the conditions where God was going to bring judgment, was busy building himself an expensive tomb like the tombs of the kings, and God was not pleased. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. There you shall die, and there your glorious chariots shall be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office, and from your position he will pull you down. So he would never be buried in this expensive tomb because he was going to be taken away captive and even his attempt to amass chariots would not help him. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. And so Shebna was going to lose his job and God was going to replace him with Eliakim who was a faithful man and God would give him the authority of the key of the house of David. And I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. So God would establish him as a peg and 
could hang many things upon him. He could handle the responsibility because he was faithful and the people would trust and rely upon him. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall. And the burden that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. So even though Eliakim would be faithful for a period of time, he would not be able to avert the great tragedy that was about to occur upon Jerusalem, ultimately with the Babylonian captivity, and then they would all be taken away captive. I believe we are living in very precarious times because at the same time that I believe God's hand of judgment is upon us, we have also experienced a time of great affluence and prosperity. And my fear is that our affluence blinds us to our great spiritual need. We can be very prosperous materially and yet be bankrupt spiritually. And I believe that the only hope is for us to do what God said, to humble ourselves, to turn from our sins and to seek his face and to cry out, fasting rather than feasting and mourning rather than parting. May the Lord help us to see the true need of the hour and to stand in the gap. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. That's calvarytv.org. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. To listen to previous episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Next week, we will see where Isaiah prophesies against the seaport of Tyre, renowned for its trade. After being destroyed 70 years later, the Lord would restore it. History proves that this is one of the most remarkable fulfillments of Bible prophecy. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Isaiah on Simply the Bible. <music> 